the scene with the fat falling off of the fence and on to Edward Norton's body. Every fucking time. I just, I'm just, like, I can't even believe that that happens. It just looks like it smells bad. Mm. The six rule of Fight Club is no shirts and no shoes. And we explicitly see Bob, played by Meatloaf, fighting with a shirt on. And I'm sorry, but that is an egregious error. Wait, that's that's your your problem? Yeah. I don't care if he has bitch tits. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we go back into another classic film as we discuss 1999's Fight Club, starring Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Now a question of etiquette. As I pass, do I give you the ass or the crunch? If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the usual suspects, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. I am Jack's podcast co-host. Uh-huh. That was really, really... That was something. That was great. That was because because he keeps saying yes, that in the movie, which is why everyone on the internet then is like, "Well, his his name's actually Jack in real life. His name, because even though they don't say it, his his name's Jack." Yep. <laughs> yep. So, what film are we talking about? I was going to say we're talking about the 1999 <laughs> David Fincher film Fight Club. Uh, oh, I thought we were talking about the Robin Williams movie Jack. Oh. Got confused for a moment. That, that is a piece of art right there. Let me tell you right there. Oh. Hey, it's Francis Ford Coppola at its prime. I was going to say, after Godfather 2, his career hasn't really been on a... Apocalypse, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. it was a, You know what? It was good. I was talking more about... That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I was talking more like recent, but that's okay. Okay. Thanks for being an asshole about it. I try. So anyways, David Fincher directed Fight Club, uh, which stars Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, and basically is a and... film following uh, Edward Norton, whose character is only known as the narrator, but people have thought his name may be Jack in, in real life, uh, as he kind of goes through a, a struggle with insomnia and uh, some other things that uh, happen to be happening with him as he uh, starts an underground uh, boxing club with a man named Tyler Durden, and things happen throughout the film. And uh, it is one of those movies that, I mean, and if you haven't seen it by now, boy, that is your fault. Because uh, we're going to spoil time. the shit out of well, this film. They're the same yeah. person. <laughs> Thanks for that, Nick. Thanks, just Nick. Just right through the disclaimer. Just forget it. Just I mean, it's, through it, that. It's not as bad as what... Uh, what's her name? Rosie O'Donnell did like the day of when the film came out, and she just like spoiled it on her actual show. Yeah, no, actually, there's even worse. What about Elliot Gould on one of the daytime talk shows? 
spoiled the the ending of the Friends finale the day it aired before it aired. Wow. Oh, man, that's a great story. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, they literally asked him about Ross and Rachel, and then he said, oh, yeah, it's great that they got together. And then the host was like, oh, uh that they that they're not to, you know and then he's oh, like oh i don't think i should have said that <laughs> but then what i, I don't God. think here's the only thing and i don't mean to get off track but these shows besides live with regis and kelly and i don't think he was on that one are, are taped not, yeah so i don't know how it still made it to air so anyway <laughs> that's what, their own fault yeah what a great story <laughs> they're so dumb i i love that story actually now that uh now that you mention it yeah. uh, also in this movie are meatloaf uh, and uh, a couple other people show up every now and then, especially Helena Bonham Carter, yes. who's, who's a main character throughout the film, and a couple other uh, people, including Jared Leto, show up throughout the uh, throughout the story. Man, I was so happy uh, the one scene where he gets his fucking face beat in because I wanted <laughs> Ed- the blonde guy. Yes, yeah, no, I didn't know. I that. wanted Edward Norton to be playing Batman because then I could just imagine him being the shit out of the Joker. <laughs> That'd be great. Love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. This has been you a really move. great start for Tucson here. You can always write fanfic. I'm not going to. Oh, 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 you're trying to trap me. No. No, not going to do it. No, today. I'm trying to inspire you. No. <laughs> so, uh, this film was based on the novel written by Chuck Palahniuk. Yep, there you go. That one. Yep. Uh, and I, I believe. Uh, that that came out quite a long time before this, or not really? 1999. The the book came out in 1999. No, the book didn't come out in 1999. The film came out in 1999. Yes, I know that. That's why I was asking about the book. I don't think it came out that much. I think it was like 94, 95. Okay, okay. So it wasn't like a a long time possibly coming. Okay, very good. So, um, 96, 96. Yeah, okay. Wow. Even closer even, than I thought I was going to say, it's a lot closer than I thought it was uh, mm. originally. So very good. Yeah. Guess I should have done my homework. Guess okay. you should have. Mm. It's okay. man. <laughs> just like the, and that's the difference between me and Tucson. <laughs> just like the Francis Ford Coppola thing. Should have probably done my homework on that before just spouting that off. That's okay. That's okay. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself? If you've never been in a fight. Wait. Let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise of a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. I couldn't sleep. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I prayed for a different life. Soap. I make and I sell soap. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Okay. Ow! You hit me in the ear! It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is... Wow, nice. You do not talk about Fight Club. Is that your blood? Some of it, yeah. After Fight Club, we all started seeing things differently. You're gonna have to keep me up all night. And she ruined everything. You're not into her, are you? No. God, not at all. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. He had a plan. (laughs) To what purpose? In Tyler, we trusted. I gotta take Fight Club up a notch. Each one of you has a homework assignment. You're going to start a fight with a total stranger. 
That's not necessary. You're gonna lose. That hurt. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I'm stopping this. It's already done, so shut up. What kind of sick game are you playing? Oh my god. Um, if I don't, if you don't mind, I was hoping to start off on on this episode. Go for about it. Alex. I would be humbled if you did. Would you? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, <laughs> I have very interesting memories about Fight Club because I have a very uh, clear memory of where I saw this film for the first time. Uh, and it was when I was in eighth grade, I believe, uh, and uh, we were on a road trip to Ohio uh, to go to Cedar Point uh, Roller Coaster Park in Ohio and to go see Jimmy Buffett in Cincinnati. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Cheeseburger in <laughs> paradise. Dude, he's, he puts on a good show. Let me tell you what. That's a, that's a good performer right there. <laughs> Anyways, getting a little off topic here. Never happens on this podcast, ever. Never. So uh, I'm in a car driving to Ohio with my parents, and my mom and myself, when I'm in eighth grade, watch Fight Club in the car for the first time with my dad driving the car, only hearing what's happening oh boy. in this movie. That's a lot, though, <laughs> considering how much narration there is. I know, but still, <laughs> I... I, I, I I can't no, I'm just saying. No, like, I've been thinking about like like when uh when Tyler Durden is getting the shit beat out of him and he's like begging to like like have so, like, let us do it. yeah right. You don't know where I've been. <laughs> I just my dad. I don't know how many times where he just turned around and not like actually turned around because he's driving the car. <laughs> yeah. But how many times he like he like leaned back and just like said, "What the hell are you guys watching?" watching. <laughs> it's just such a very interesting perspective on this film because. It, so it, the the visuals and the and the actual dialogue in the film really go hand in hand, and oh man, that fist was and fist. that 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 boy. That's that's why we have you on this podcast. That's like, the only reason the, at this point. <laughs> I have an important question. What did your mom think of the movie? She had a, a pretty usual Barb reaction, which was, oh well. I, I liked it, and I, I like things that aren't necessarily things that you would think I would like, but still it was rather odd and bizarre, uh, which I would obviously agree with. And it just this is one of the very few films that just stands out to me for how um, how different a film it is after you've seen it the first time. Like, there is no way in any way, shape, or form anyone could watch this film the same way the second time through as the first time through. In fact, I would say this is probably one of the best examples of that in uh, the history of cinema because the, there's it's the, so much there's like a paradigm shift of what this film is in terms of how you are viewing it the second time from the the first time seeing it and it's it's like you cannot unsee something like you cannot unknow what happens with with the characters and and the the twist that happens throughout the film and it, I just remember being just so blown away by the twist in this film and just like my jaw dropped. I was just like, Oh my God, that, 
like I there has never been another time in a film where a a ball has been dropped on me where I've just been like oh my god like for real holy shit I and and to this day I I cannot believe that that even happened in this film and I think that's one of the reasons why I love this film as much as I do just because a the nostalgic memories I have of, of watching this film for the first time and then wanting to watch it again and again and again to spot all the little details. And two, it's a David Fincher film that he obviously worked very hard on. And one of his, I think, better efforts in terms of pushing through his meticulous detail on, uh, there's so many little things in here that even now, even I've seen this film probably 20 times all the way through that I've, I've picked up little things every time that you notice small details that you didn't notice the last time, like the excessive, um, coffee or the excessive Starbucks cup count throughout the entire film that they just happen to show up in almost every scene. Somehow every scene (laughs) it's yeah. And it's it's just it's it's little things like that, and the the actual content of this film um, that even though I like this film com- for completely different reasons that I did when I was 15 years old, um, that just make this an all time classic for me. So we'll get a, lo- a lot more into the actual story of it, and and kind of the the acting and some of the what the fuck moments because there's plenty of them for you here, but. Mm-hmm. This was, is is an all timer for me, and I uh, just absolutely love watching and thinking about uh, the, my history of watching the movie Fight Club. So, whoever wants to go next can take it away. I'll go next. Okay. Um, I have a very interesting history with this film, mostly because it dates all the way back to me being in high school. I think that's usually where most of us like encounter like Fight Club for the first time, or that we like engage with it as a text. Um. I did not know that it was a movie at first. I encountered it through the actual like book because I was like on an art forum and they just like recommended it and I really respected those guys, so I started reading it and I thought it was a really great story. Um, and then I learned after the fact that it was a movie, so I watched it and I thought that initially watching it that Fight Club was one of the, probably one of the most loyal like film adaptations I've seen in a while. Like it, it excises like some scenes that aren't necessarily key they're just kind of like different ways of how you establish those characters like tyler meeting the the narrator for the first time and especially the ending which even chuck paul nuke said that the ending in the film was better uh than when he did and i think that there's a lot of i i watched this film very differently being 25 years old than i did when i was 15 or th- 14 definitely because like when you're when you're at that age when you're at that formative age where you're just kind of like deciding like what you kind of sort of believe in and what kind of person you want to be like it's easy to be swayed by uh charismatic figures sometimes and like really get ex- like in engrossed into like the the philosophy that they expose just because of how passionate they are about it um when i saw Tyler Durden for the first time when I was 14. I thought he was a very inspirational figure. Um, when I saw him as a 25-year-old, I thought, this man is one of the most dangerous people I've ever encountered in my life. In, 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 in cinema, simply because he is a charismatic fatalist. He engrosses people into a cult of personality, mostly as a rejection of consumerism, of capitalism, and of religion in a lot of ways because he's conflating them all into one thing i think the other thing about tyler durden that makes his character so dangerous is he is and he isn't everything that he preaches like he He is he breaks his rules pretty much constantly Mm -hmm. in terms of 
how in uh, I mean, it's it's really hard to say that because you you know he's just a figment of Edward Norton's imagination, but his character does all of the the like textbook things of, of what someone who is in this sort of cult. role would do a yeah. cult or or someone like Hitler yeah. where they 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 break a lot of their own rules somewhat he he does it at points but at the same time he also completely has his um you know just embraced this idea of hitting rock bottom and then not giving a fuck about anything and boy that is just a that is just a dangerous person right there because when you really do not give a fuck about anything, you will do every, holy shit. You will do everything and anything to get to that point, and it's pretty uh, pretty, pretty disturbing. Simply for the fact that like, another reason why he's so dangerous is that he's able to game the psychology of his converts in, in, in so many different ways. He knows how to worm his way into their psychoses and like work them toward his own benefit because he literally is – the manifestation of a psychosis. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to play that game. And it's just so it, it, it's, it's there, there's a lot of things that I like about this movie. Um, one, I like the editing Two, I like the, the actual special effects, how they're actually integrated into that. And I also love the, the soundtrack by the dust brothers, which is probably the best thing that they've ever done because they haven't done shit since <laughs> you've never heard of the dust brothers since then. But this soundtrack is fucking banging because it's like, it's like Tucson catnip, okay? It's like trip hop mixed with breakbeat, mixed with like this weird, morose, like like elevator music that like is interjected with like a sci-fi theremin. It's just fucking nuts. I love it. I was going to say another great part of this, um, and, and I know Tucson, you're you're a huge fan, and not that this is anything groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, no, it's not really. But the the opening title sequence for yes. this film is so fun, especially when you get to the part where you slide up the gun mm-hmm. uh, and, and you see Edward Norton's face on the the other end of it, and you you get the the end pretty much of the film at yeah. the very beginning. And then we work, we're kind of backwards to, you know, where we start off and then we end up at the, at the very end. Oh man. What it's a... the best way to establish the actual film, mostly because there's for, for so many reasons, like that's not only a very powerful image, but the fact that it actually starts in the very root of the fear center of the brain and that it's warming itself through the, the chemistry of the brain, which plays into what is actually happening, what you're actually like seeing on screens. Like it's all in his head. And then you get to that very same where we end up here with him with the gun in his mouth at the end and you hear Tyler or you hear the narrators sort of saying, oh, I guess this is where we began. And then Tyler Durden walks away giggling yeah. saying, ha ha, flashback humor. It's just, <laughs> it's just so aware of what it is it, it is, mm-hmm. and in terms of being a film about this kind of thing and it happens multiple times whether it be Edward Norton talking directly to the camera saying the film reel sputtering out yeah. while while Tyler Durden is talking to the audience um, the the uh, thing about the cigarette burns which Nick is, is, a, is a the kind of film person you are I mean I feel like that at least that small part of it yeah, I'm sure you just eat that shit up every time for sure <laughs> and, and I just love like the precise moment mm-hmm. of him pointing at it because there's just something there, there, there's a few affectations that Brad Pitt does in this movie that completely make his character more than any line or whatever which is like the way he points at a cigarette burn the way he reveals his business card which is like this weird little flip like it, it's mm-hmm. not just handing a, it's just everything he does is so calculated it's, yeah. it's hilarious anyway and it, it it is and it's it's one of those things that 
this is almost like a, a dark comedy casino situation for me where the more and Absolutely. more I watch it, the more and more I just find his character utterly hilarious. And it's, it's, it's not, not good. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I mean, no, I it, think it's, it's a comedy. It's, no, it, it is it, it right. m- many times and it, it is, but it's, it's one of those things where you go back and think about the actual content, what you're watching and you're like, Oh, that actually really, that's just mental illness and man manifesting itself into this terrible world where a cult that is extremely violent has sprung up from the roots and now cannot be stopped. And the film ends with many buildings blowing up. Which is one of the most iconic, um, which, which is one of the most iconic ending scenes, like I think in, in cinema history. And that could only happen in the time that it was actually made. It could not be made today. You you have in the very beginning of the film, you even have Tyler Durden referring to where they are as Ground Zero. Yes. Like, <laughs> like it's almost uncanny. Yeah, like how you could not get away with this oh. anymore. Like yeah. like they tried to make a, an adaptation of uh, Chuck Palahniuk's second uh, one of one of his his following novel called Survivor, which basically in, deals with a uh, a airline uh, hijacking. And that never, never actually like got off the ground. That never happened. because <laughs> it's a plane. Sorry. I know. Yeah, but that, yeah, that that could been hanging around Nick too much. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are just my yeah. beginning volley impressions, and I want to hand it off to Nick. Well. Yeah. yeah, I also watched this movie for the first time when I was in high school, like freshman, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what it was when I had I'd only heard like oh have you seen Fight Club no okay I guess I'll go watch Fight Club and um, actually I told this story to you guys last week but the funny thing about me watching this movie was that I watched the first like hour of it and then I went to bed because I was tired and I didn't want to miss the rest so I just wanted to like you know cut it off cold and whatnot and then like I went to school and I ran into somebody I knew and I. And they had known that I was watching it. Um, and then they were like, oh, yeah, wasn't it crazy that he became, he was actually Tyler Durden? And I was like, yeah, I didn't know that, but uh, <laughs> thank you. So that's how I first watched Fight Club, was, <laughs> was watching spoiled. it without the twist and then getting told what the twist was and then going home and finishing it. Uh, but I was obsessed with this movie when I was in high school. Not really at all because of the philosoph- uh, philosophical musings behind it, because I was just never interested in that kind of thing at that time. Um, but because I was very interested and obsessed with the movie that not only had a twist, but had a twist so deeply embedded into its editing that I had to like pause every single instance of Tyler flashing up on the screen. And yeah. You even have other things that aren't just him flashing, like in the scene where he's at the hotel and the, the commercial the people say welcome at the end and he's in the crowd there. And That's my just, favorite one. <laughs> yeah. And so I was just going back and watching all of, I mean, I was like, I, I'm not kidding when I say, I think I checked the IMDB trivia section like once a month to see if somebody added something else, you know, it, as as a reference as to what to look out for and whatnot. Yeah. So I watched this movie not shy of a dozen times, possibly back then. I haven't watched it since mm-hmm. until we uh, did this podcast. So uh, a couple nights ago, I, I broke out the Blu-ray and I watched it with my dad who had never seen it before. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh boy. He'd never seen it before. In fact, at first he didn't know what it was um, <laughs> because of the menu, which is uh, – Kissing Jessica Stein uh, is the menu, if anybody doesn't 
Oh no, copy of Fight Club. There's something with the, the, the warning at the beginning of the at least with the D V D The D V D does that thing where it's like the warning gets like eaten out kind of mm-hmm. and then it becomes a Project Mayhem like manifesto type thing. And yeah. The, the Blu ray uh, is the Blu-ray menu is the menu for kissing Jessica Stein okay. starring Drew Barrymore. <laughs> and then that gets eaten away and then it becomes a Fight Club menu. And mm-hmm, that's whatnot. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you spoil the ending for him? Uh, no. I okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, I once I figured out that he had never seen it before and that whatever, I'm like, oh. Because sometimes he'll like start watching a movie with me but then just like get up and leave. I'm like, you really need to finish this, by the way. And, <laughs> and he's like, okay, like I'm enjoying it. I'm like, no, I'm just making sure. Like, you know, like I – so anyway, we, we watched the whole thing mm-hmm. and he was quite uh, entertained by it and whatnot. Oh, cool. I will say about 10 minutes before it really started to come down, he's like, oh, they're the same person. <laughs> so so I was like, oh, wow, Jeffrey. <laughs> Good going. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, so rewatching it. I love your dad who like loves Top Gun and shit like that. And he's just sitting there. It was like, like I just imagined him like five minutes and he's like, oh, they're the same person. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that, but it was, yeah, but it was around the time that like I think any normal viewer could start to catch yeah. on before they say anything like mm-hmm. explicitly or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, although when like you said, Alex, when you rewatch for the second time, it's kind of insane how obvious it is, yeah. and that's what's kind of insane about the whole thing. I know <laughs> this because Tyler knows this. Yeah, but yeah, they're never in the same room together, all that kind of stuff. Um, I got to say, watching it now, like, as somebody who used to be obsessed with this movie, it certainly doesn't live up to that uh, that mentality of what I used to like about mm. it. Um, mostly because I've just I've seen it so many times, and that might just be the biggest factor as to what fuels my opinions here today. And you're in a different place in your life, too. I am. And so. if I told Tucson, I think, earlier that it kind of reminded me of the same way, even though it's a... Sh- it's a longer time frame, but of the same way how I viewed Django Unchained uh, somewhat differently in just, uh, what, three years that that's mm-hmm. been out. So you give a movie, what, uh, oh boy, fifth, six, seventeen years? Yeah, there years, you go, 17. 17 years. Uh, that's even more of a difference. Sometimes things go up, sometimes they go down. And I, I still enjoy this, just like watching it. It's it's quite funny. There's some, there's some great uh, like scenes and individual and whatnot. Um, I will say the biggest thing when it comes to me rewatching it, though, that I couldn't quite get over, even though I, I, I don't mind watching it, because overall I still like it, is that the, the the editing, while, shall we say, impressive and uh, economical, because this is quite a lot of stuff to get through and whatnot, became very monotonous and almost droll like to listen to the narrator over and over and over when... W- when you're in a position of like, for me at least, of knowing already exactly what he's going to say, mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of like watching a movie with somebody who won't shut up, so to speak, because <laughs> you, you already are in his headspace. So I don't know, just that that whole. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it just that whole aspect was wearing a little thin it's, because it's a two and a half hour movie. It's not like it's a you know, it's some kind of ninety minute thrill fest or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's. But there are see, and I, this is actually um, this is one of the few books I've ever read <laughs> in my entire life. So I've read the Said the librarian. <laughs> yeah, I know it's pretty sad. Um, but I've read Fight Club, the book. I read it after because that's how obsessed I was with mm-hmm. with the movie. Was I re- actually read a book? And um, <laughs> when I got done with it, the ending is certainly better here. But what I what I'll say about this movie is kind of what I said about uh, the Harry Potter movie you had mentioned in our bonus episode, Alex, which mm-hmm. is that this might be basically like a perfect adaptation, so to speak. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that, like, I don't know, 
there there are certain things it discards in favor of being an adaptation that doesn't quite work for me on the same level as like watching a film for the sake of watching a film. There there there's just so much that runs together and yeah, I don't know. It just it, it was a different movie this time for a lot of different reasons and it's one I still enjoy, but it was one that was a little tiresome to watch at times. So, really quickly before we get into more about the the actual film, uh this is a film that is um I wouldn't necessarily put it in in esteem of a film like I don't know, like Mulholland Drive or anything like that, where it just has just spawned many, many fan theories. I would. Well, not necessarily. Not like like that. Not like fan theories. I I feel like this film has spawned a lot of people having thoughts about the the film and things about it. Uh, And the major one that I've always had, um, and I still feel like I go through uh, a thing with this one, where I, I feel like for a while there's no way in any way, shape, or form it could possibly be real. And then there's a lot of times where I'm just like, actually, that makes total sense. And then I watch it one time and think no. And then I watch another time and think yes. Uh, and that's something that I've actually thought since probably the second or third time I watched the film. And that is the the possibility of Marla not being real as well, in addition to Tyler not being real, which... I think it just makes it that much more fucked up. And it actually, the more I watch it, the more it kind of makes sense a little bit specifically for the reason of her showing up and and kind of being the, the alter ego of what Tyler Durden is for, for him where she's almost like the, not even necessarily the, the, he is the alter ego of what Tyler Durden is. No, but I'm saying like on the, on the other end of the spectrum, just sort of that, that way. And I think the thinking behind it for me is that if Marla isn't real, that makes him imagining them fucking that much more fucked up because there actually isn't anybody in the entire realm fucking at all. Oh. It's just him imagining this. But then oh, why man. do you think that that's real? Like, like, no, it's it's not that I do. Like that's what okay. I'm what I'm where I'm going with this is that. It's a, it's a fan theory that that I'm not, I'm not even going to like say that I came up with it because I I did not, but it has been something that it, that has festered in my brain throughout the years, and it's one of those things that I've I've never made my mind up on. Like I I it, it, I've many times thought that it probably is is absolutely not the case, and then I'll watch it one other time and think, you know what? Actually, that seems a little bit more plausible than I than I originally thought it was. So it's just one of those things that. That that's an, one more thing that keeps me coming back and back every time. It's just these small things that make me watch it for a, in a different way every single time. And it's not even just that one. There are uh, lots of other sort of little examples that you can go into of people saying, oh, this means this and this means that. And you think about it. And then even if you disprove that to yourself watching it again, it, it brings that back, just brings back a whole flood of things that you've thought about in the past with this film. And it just has so many of those. And I just, I just love it. And I just love the idea of, of, of fan theories for this type of film. I guess I'll say one thing as not a rebuttal to that, mm-hmm. but just as like, that kind of illustrates why I had the reaction I did this time rewatching it mm-hmm. is that unlike a movie like Mulholland Drive, and I know I'm biased because that's one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. movies, and I'm not saying this as far as this means that Mulholland Drive is better, but the the difference between the two movies, well, there's obviously quite a few differences, <laughs> but uh, as far as, like, um, like, Mulholland Drive is a movie that offers up mysteries and then doesn't actually solve them. Like, you know, what is a blue box? Like, it's not like a character. For me, a film like Fight Club doesn't, like... 
the, the the story bible so to speak is embedded in the narrative of the movie like you the, the they, they explain just about everything mm-hmm. so that's why i don't understand why there are even fan theories other than just there are fan theories yeah, for everything I, I don't i don't really agree with the i mean it, it is interesting when you think back on it but there are scenes that were other people are actually like inter- interacting with marla and with the narrator Jack in the same room, so it doesn't really. Yeah, but make... there are people who interact with Tyler Wall. The narrator's there. No, not in the same way. Not not in the same way though. But okay. um, cool. I, I I think that one of the things that really distinguishes this film, like in in hindsight, is I know that Nick was talking about how like the narration can be sort of monotonous. I actually really enjoy enjoy Edward Norton's uh, narration simply because I really enjoy a lot of the lines in this film. I think that it's not necessarily a quotable film, but is a very the dialogue is is I I think is is at least the narration and the dialogue are written very well. And that I really enjoy um, a lot of. Uh, Edward Norton's like characters like like lines such as um, like in and around and behind everything uh, that was this man's life something horrible was growing inside of him and it's like is he talking about himself or is he talking about the boss while he's like beating the shit out of him like that's I, I thought I thought that was interesting like contextualized um, I was gonna say really quickly something I definitely want to mention was Edward Norton's monotone, sarcastic delivery throughout, especially the early parts of this film. Yeah, it's so fucking good that every time I see it, and it, I just, I just can't get over how awesome it is. We used to watch pornography. Now we watch the. Now we read the Horchot collection. <laughs> but it's it's just his delivery and and the way he says certain beats of uh, a lot of his dialogue and a lot of his monologue early in this film. Uh, that is just like it just blows me away, and it it really actually kind of makes me disappointed because Edward Norton for me is in a much different place in his acting career now than he was at that time, where he was just knocking off movies like this and um, movies like um, American History X and other things of that nature. Primal, Primal Fear, Twenty Eighth Hour. We're, well, that was a little bit later. But yes, it, in the same kind of time period where he's hitting these fucking awesome characters left and right. Mm-hmm. And not that he's not doing good work today. He was great in Birdman. He's had other good roles. But I feel like there was like some sort of change in the way he, he is as an actor. Maybe it's just him getting older or anything like that. But yeah, He just seems less interested in acting. Yeah. Like when, when he comes out, he'll go. And, mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem like a, like the opposite of Johnny Depp where instead of starting to accept everything, he started to seem like reject a lot more, I think. And, yeah. Which certainly keeps his esteem as to what I think because he was my favorite actor when I was a, when I was in high school because of this movie and because of many other movies. And now that's so far gone as far as because he just didn't keep it up, which sounds like it's an insult. But well, but he, he also, and I, I don't want to say that he was typecast or anything necessarily, but he played a lot of the, a lot of similar roles in terms of the way he looked, the way he sounded, even though they were quite different, um, but still that same kind of character kind of, I don't know, like what, like sort of um, would be a good way to describe it because it's, it's right there. And I just Snarky can't, asshole. Well, a little bit. He, he definitely had that kind of alpha male thing going on throughout some of his characters. He's like a sardonic and no and less neurotic Woody Allen as far yeah. as. Yeah. But it, it just for me, like his delivery early on in this film is, is just so fabulous. And I 
every time it just gets me the, the some of the some of the lines he has early on and even some of probably the most popular lines from this film are all delivered by Brad Pitt yet it's it's a lot of Edward Norton's dialogue early on that just draws me in um Marla Singer Helena Bonham Carter like has one infamous line uh where uh it's <laughs> it's it's when uh Tyler Durden is rec- recollecting uh their their night mm-hmm. together and it's like the original line was just like, I want to have your abortion. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't allowed in. And it's like, and David Fincher basically made the, the deal. It's like, okay, I'm going to like put in another line, but it has to be the final one. It's like, okay, that's cool. And basically he just wrote something that was somehow both less and more offensive. And it was just like, my God, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I actually... I, I gotta tell you, the the abortion one would have, I think, been a little. It would have made me think a little bit less. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's really it. I, I not even just, but just I, I don't know why. Like the, the the grade school thing make like it's. It, I feel like it reveals so much. There's more a story about it. behind that. I, There's a story I, behind that. It, it 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 goes back to something that actually happened, and not something that is that, not necessarily hypothetically possibly happening it's mm-hmm. just like fuck yeah Whew. so fucked up <laughs> um so many parts of this movie are just so like the fact that and um i watched this with my wife emily who uh had never seen it before years ago when i first started dating her we've mm-hmm. seen it multiple times since then yeah but she noticed something early uh during the the scenes with uh, marla and uh marla and tyler as they are fornicating together mm-hmm. and she's like why the fuck is he wearing yellow rubber gloves? That is so fucked up. What is going? And I, I yeah, he's fucking and making soap. I yeah, it, it, but still, it just and then that I I totally agree. Where it's just like, what what the fuck? Like how who came up with that? I, I and I don't, I don't know. I have an interesting uh, trivia thing about <laughs> that whole sex scene and how it was actually filmed. They actually used the same technology that they used in the Matrix for the bullet time. I thought that was fucking. Oh, and, and when they, when they're showing the, like the actual bodies, you're saying? yeah, okay. yeah, I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah, I, I will say that that kind of visual scene from the Matrix, boy, that got overused really quickly after that movie came. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not necessarily speaking about it from this film, but it was like finding out that a trick works. They're like, oh, I guess this car thing is going to catch on. We should start making more of these cars. But with that scene, they're like, look, we can do this. Everybody do it. Woo. No. I will say one thing negative about this movie, which is that I think some of it is very dated when it comes to the CGI. Like, yeah. To the point where I was cringing because mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in like a decade. So I was not prepared for a, how much CGI is in it. Like scenes that didn't need CGI mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like when we go into the garbage can and it's a computer generated garbage can. Like, and I like there, there could have been a way to make that work with like the a, computer a scale model and the computer generated breath when they're in the, um, when yes. they're in the uh, polar tunnel or whatever with uh, Marla and uh, and the narrator, slide. Um, what, what what's the purpose? The, of that? Um, <laughs> and also, and I can understand why this would be for money reasons. But when you add it to the others, but the the 
what is it when he's at the building uh where they're gonna blow it up and whatnot and it goes through all the levels and then even when it gets down to the final floor it's a cgi garage like floor and a cgi van like they they couldn't just use cgi for the transition they even though they have a van so like there were just so many instances where i'm like why are we using cgi here especially when the one thing that held up uh for me was the fact that i still thought the um the fights were brutal and I was expecting like, I mean, it certainly, I will admit the first time I watched it, it that it's, it's at its most brutal. Cause you know, it's just, you haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And whatnot. So it's not like I was like, you know, it's kind of like saw where the more you see it, the more it doesn't really have an effect on you. But I was surprised that it was still pretty practical and like the blood squibs and all that was still pretty brutal. Was it like in uh in raging bull where the, the third row just gets splashed with this, like paint bucket full of <laughs> no no it was uh it was actually pretty like especially the one with um where Edward Norton destroys Jared Leto oh dude which is still that is brutal that in in the end of that where he just Very says cathartic. I want to breathe smoke and just the way and and the people who who in remember too that these people believe that he's the only real leader of, of them when they're walking around him like the ultimate the fuck got into you man like yeah. holy shit. I have oh, to man. I have to poke something here though really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, for a movie that's uh, very much about rules and not breaking them, mm-hmm. it breaks them. The, well, no, but here's the thing: it's like I can understand why Tyler would break his own rule or whatever, but I don't understand why one of the members are allowed to because <sighs> the sixth rule of Fight oh, come Club on. Come on, no. is no shirts oh, and God. no shoes, and we explicitly see Bob, played by Meatloaf, fighting with a shirt on. And I'm sorry, but that is an e- egregious error. Wait, that's that's your your problem? Yeah. I don't care if he has bitch tits. Nobody fucking remembers the rules of Fight Club past the first two rules of Fight Club, and maybe well, the, there like, definitely the, was a no shirts, no the, shoes. In the, yeah, I was gonna say like the no, final, First of all, like I don't actually want to debate because the I was first just two kidding, rules of Fight Club but, and the last rule of Fight Club. But, like, is everybody the rules remembers. seem pretty adhered by as far as like they 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 can't talk about it because they just do the. But I just think it's funny that like. Out of all the things that got broke, you, you, you just have Bob with the shirt on. Jack makes a lot of concessions for Bob. Like, the whole thing you're not supposed to tell them about, like, if they wanted to be inducted into Project Mayhem. But, like, he actually reached out to him and was like, hey, you have to do this whole thing. And that was actually something that completely flew, like, flew over my head when I was, like, 14. But now I was 25. It was just, like, black shoes, black pants, uniformity of all, like, clothing. And how, however so much money and, like, personal burial money, I'm just like... Oh, what the fuck's going on? I think the the bigger thing about that is is just like with a lot of other cults is is you know he, he's pretty much starting off this that, that hasn't even begun really in terms of the the like extremely concerning part of the the cult that he's began space it, monkey it that it, like this is just the very beginning of, of that actual part of his whole plan or whatever. And and the the allegiance that the the members already show is just like fr- fucking frightening, and not that it was a, a I mean I really enjoyed it and I know Nick pretty much liked it, but the documentary we saw at Sundance called Holy Hell, mm-hmm. I think as as we've seen many times with cults, just gets even further uh, into that that whole psyche where, not that you can totally understand because you you you. Were, people as we are who haven't lived in a cult some can, people can't understand yeah. well they show up at the q and a weird yeah didn't you think it was weird that this is happening no we call those people it. lacking uh, something we call empathy yeah <laughs> but 
it, it it's just how you can, how you can get sucked into something like this and and to, to have that just undying allegiance to stand outside and, and prove yourself uh, before you've even gotten into the, it's just oh man yeah the same lady that asked that question uh, to the cult uh, like do you think this was weird or whatever would be the same person who would watch Fight Club and go I think he actually made a pretty couple of good points <laughs> I think the purse could actually like you know realistically happen I was like oh get the fuck out of my face we were, yes. we were talking like my brother oh my god <laughs> I'm only half joking oh uh, Nick you talked about back in the day going through this film and trying to look for all the times that Tyler shows up and uh, you know there there are the ones where he just pops up or the one we mentioned where he is in the uh, the commercial in the hotel but the one that involves the line of dialogue that is without a doubt my favorite is when he's going by on the moving walkway mm-hmm. and Edward Norton has a line if you could wake up in a different time and in a different place could you wake up as a different person as he goes sliding by on yeah. the on the moving walkway and I mean, there's no way you could have guessed when you see this film for the first time that that was going to have anything to do with it. Just thinking, oh, he just happened to be there. Unless you read the book. Right. Yeah. But, but, okay, first time seeing this film if you hadn't read the book. Right. But man, just going back, that is like a, that is one of my favorite parts of almost any film. And I say that probably too often, but it is just such a glorious part because it is perfect foreshadowing in, in, in the film sense at the same time, not revealing anything if you had never seen the film before. It's just one of the goodies that you can come back on uh, throughout time. One of my uh, my favorite quotes from the film that is actually not typically like repeated is from the scene where Tyler and the narrator actually go on a homework assignment and they take the, the guy aside from the... Um, the convenience store. That scene is fabulous. I, I think that scene is fab- fabulous, but I think that the ending quote from uh, from the narrator was just like, you have to admit that Tyler had a plan and like, and it, and it made sort of sense in a Tyler sort of way is like no fear, no distractions, the ability to let that which does not matter truly slide. I thought that was such a fucking, that's a, that's a good mantra. It's like the ability to just let that which does not matter truly slide. Like fucking. Slide. It's fun. I was going to say, it's Ooh. funny because he uses the, the term slide and that was Shit. used early in the, in the film when he's, uh, he's in his cave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 As, as long as we're kind of doing a little bit of, of quotes uh, and Tyler Durden has many quotes that are kind of repeated in memes or by people because I, I people think who are perpetually 14 forever well and, I, and I, not that we'll want to necessarily all agree on this but I think Tyler Durden is like probably um, one of the top I don't know like 50 most recognizable film characters of all time I, I would can say. say that yeah he's very recognizable yeah yeah I'm, I'm not saying best or anything very like that, weird but... fashion sense very distinctive fashion yeah sense. and I, I, th- I think if you if if you put a photo of Tyler Durden and, and some of his dialogue in front of people that people would notice it more than than most I would think yeah. but he has two lines in his monologue uh, early on when he's explaining the rules of Fight Club the second time when more people are starting to show up and he has a, a quick monologue discussing sort of the way that society is these days. And, um, it, it was so fucking like, just, just gut wrenching to hear it. Not necessarily even because I totally don't think that what he's saying doesn't make sense because in, in terms of our society and in the way the world is today, some of what he is saying actually does. I mean, there's no way it can't at least somewhat, 
understand what he's talking about, but at the same time, I'm not buying into his, his logic. But his, his two lines are uh, um, saying, we are the middle children of history. It was just like, oh, my God. Fuck, man. Yeah. Like, that is... That is not a good way to look at it. And then saying, uh, the, the one that gets me every time is, our Great Depression is our lives. And I'm just like, are you, f- dude, that is that is like the emo shit anyone yeah. has ever said. Welcome to high school. As he's slitting <laughs> his wrists, our Great Depression is our lives. I'm yeah. just like, man, this fucking guy is just, like, use it at perfect, like, that is a dangerous person. When, when I was watching that scene, uh, when he's going through his whole monologue, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay. Like, seeing all these guys that are being talked to by by this guy who's saying that they're, like, some of the greatest minds of generation, how they're just working at, like, really shit jobs gas and stations. stuff. Yeah, gas right. stations and as waiters and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, this is going to either go one of two ways. Like, either, one, they turn into Project Mayhem, or two, this becomes a men's rights activist, like, sort of meeting. Like, I mean, that, it's, that, it actually is pretty much doing both. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, oh, man. I was like, this came out the same year as Magnolia, as being John Malkovich, as The Matrix. And I'm just like, this is like it, – it, it really it, this this is representative of of a very real like existential like like turning point like a cornerstone of what was going on at that it's, time. It's very interesting. Well, you bring Y2K up... was on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. You bring up the the <laughs> yeah. it, the the men's rights activist thing because other than Marla, whose character is obviously involved in this film, that we we don't really see anything in, in terms of like them going out and like trying to rape women or, or anything like that. I think that. we've had enough women in their lives, don't you? That's what they said. Well, I yeah, but it's like No, like it, women are practically non existent mm-hmm. in this yeah. movie. Like even in like when they're out in public somehow, like they they don't seem to ever run into women. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 because if it could could have obviously gone a different way in terms of you talk about men's rights activists and we don't need them or or, or that kind of thing or we believe that they are just here to serve us or, or something like that. And, There's also a lot of homoerotic um, overtones that are like injected in into the course of the film that are supposed to distract from the eventual like third act reveal of Tyler Durden and the narrator being the same person mm-hmm. and like them, like, like when, when they're in the car together and they're kind of like drifting to the other lane and Tyler's just like, well, you know, you need to fuck what you know. It's like, forget what you know, forget what you think you know about fight club, about yourself and especially about you and me. So in that scene, what are the two people in the backseat seeing? <laughs> they're just seeing this guy who's just like talking to himself. Yeah. It, my my, my At belief that point they wouldn't. I would say most scenes. Can guess what? Make, They're in a cult. Just, well, my 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 belief is as as you see people's reactions after we find out uh, that in in fact Tyler and the narrator are the same person that he's pretty much been going with this since the get go and people have just totally bought into it. Yeah. That he's been what? Like that he that he he's been having these conversations with himself over and over again and people are just totally fine with it. Oh, he only wow. sleeps never, an hour and that uh he has plastic yeah. surgery and you know, shit like that. I mean, it's just a myth that grows upon itself. I've mm-hmm. never thought that ever. I really? guess. Really? Well, I, I especially always... in like the scene at the end with the, with the police where he's talking about what he he's trying to tell them that you're not supposed to um we're gonna cancel this mission and we're gonna abort and we're gonna i need you guys to help me do this and they're like he he said you definitely say that like they are very clearly aware that there are two different versions of this same person oh, i guess i took the that scene to be another example which we see time and time again in the movie that nobody knows who tyler Durden. not nobody but 
that at a certain point this is so far spread that nobody actually knows who Tyler Durden hmm. is. Like maybe you know they know that they exist within the same person, but like they know that. No, I meant like there are human beings that don't know what. Yeah, he looks because they, they, they keep making those comments. Like I heard he got facial reconstruction surgery yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But there so. uh, there are other times like when he's talking to people when he's trying to find out what's happening. He talks to the bartender and he says, you know. Well, when, when did he come here? And then he asks, is this a test and that kind of thing? Like, it seems pretty clear to me that people have been seeing him having these discussions by himself. It's a good uh-huh. thing that uh, that Edward Norton's character killed Tyler Durden because Tyler Durden would probably go back and, like, murder that yeah, actual bar see, guy. Yeah, but is he dead? I don't think you can kill somebody like that. Like, you can't kill, yeah, kill your let's brain. Let's talk about the ending because <laughs> I'll say this much. As much as I think it's an improvement over the book because the book is just very flaccid. Uh, it's just him shooting and then cut to last chapter. He's in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. And whatever. Um, this is certainly a better ending, but that's only for me because of the uh, Edward Norton, Marla Singer scene, where uh, which has my favorite line in the whole movie, which is, you met me at a very strange time in my life. I, mm-hmm. I love that, and I love the image of them in front of... But the whole... and I'm, 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 I, I don't even want to like pick it apart, but the whole concept of him shooting himself in the cheek, I guess? I I don't know, like, where, what he and, shoots and himself how in. How does that make, Ed, is it, like, is, is it a, trying to be, like, a symbolic thing? Yeah, I mean, that was just, that felt like a page one ending. I, I don't know, I guess I've never really bought into that, mo- even for the very first time I watched the movie, like, and I think that's how strong the twist is, is that it overshadows any logistics that follow, so to speak. But I've never been comfortable with that as a moment because it's it's it like seems like it the seems movie like it's totally right. thinks it makes sense. Yeah, it does not. No, I, and, and I, it, it seems like for me, and if this, and uh, we talked about earlier, that it, some of the events that happen in this film probably couldn't even happen now in 2016 in terms of being in an actual film. This. That ending seemed ripe for a sequel to me, unfortunately, which I obviously never wanted to see, never was interested in. But obviously, Tyler was never going to always be gone just because he shot himself through the side of the face. I think that's how the movie thinks it's Well, that's not great logic. No, I I don't think, but that's why I've never been comfortable (laughs) with that part of the ending. I genuinely do think that... The, the the movie somehow thinks that this psychosis was solved by a by a literal object, which also like the gun disappeared and doesn't you know anyway. Now that I get because it's like he's the same person and all that. And that's only one city though. So oh wait, then he also had other cities as well. So, so he was working in simultaneous efforts. So even if wait wait what. Because he was he was in Chicago, he was in Los Angeles. Because he was in New York. Because he he was flying all over these other places, and basically he timed. This wasn't just in this one city where Edward Norton's character was in. This was simultaneously well, the, with everything the else. the finale is yeah. just in that city. Yeah, I He think started so. up fight clubs everywhere else in Project Mayhem. But I'm just saying the credit card thing, because it's what's on the wall. It's just those six buildings or whatever. Mm. Like, wait, that's how I took the ending. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah. I, I just kind of took it that he actually had constructed those things to work out in other cities as well. So I, That's a possibility, but I, I don't think that's ever really alluded to at any point. But there, there are other things that are never alluded to that I think you could easily grasp for. But yeah, that ending, that just doesn't really make that much sense. Now, if he had just simply just killed himself and that had been... I was going to say, it, like, it would, that's what's kind of insane, even though we wouldn't get one of my favorite scenes in yeah. the whole movie, which is that image. Like, like that would just make the most, like, and, and it might be a little 
I don't know, downbeat and or nihilistic. But uh, uh, another thing I've thought about in terms of my own private alternate ending, especially with Marla in in my world, may or may not be real. When you see her get off the bus and he's upset and whatever, if he shot himself and then he died, and then we see the the members come up and they're distraught that he's dead and then you have the buildings exploding in the back and them being kind of just like uh because literally in in a, in a situation like that where you are in the in a cult and you are following the the teachings of a, of a ruler pretty much and in the speakings of him if he was then dead and the whole the whole thing the curtain had been dropped and then you see buildings just falling in front of you and know that those were your actions like what? What are the the thoughts they are having then, and and what would that be? And I just feel like that would have been such a fucking bomb ending. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, it wasn't. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, Tyler sort of like already predicted what he kind of wanted to affect out of that. And so that's kind of like what I guess I pictured in my mind of it, sort of like half being where it's just like in the world that he he envisions like. You'll you'll never have to wear more than one outfit your entire life. There will be kutsu vines that are just, like, tangling off the side of, like, uh, buildings. Like, basically, he wanted to, like, revert society from a from a post-capitalist uh, consumer rat race. That's the reason why Starbucks is so omnip- omnipresent throughout the entire thing because it's supposed to represent the, the omnipotence, like, the, the omnipresence of consumerism and how it just, like, bears down on well, you. Well, and how it's now – our society like even if you say well i'm i'm not a a consumer i don't i don't care about this like you, you, you are even even when you're trying to specifically not be because well, yeah, consumerism is an ideology the sly i would think uh dig at cult mentality which is that you don't want coffee you want starbucks and because you've been told that that's what you want and yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good little thing i actually never noticed that i noticed that there was starbucks in a few scenes mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i guess uh, i guess i gotta rewatch it because <laughs> i didn't realize that it's in more than just one or two i love too how starbucks uh allowed their name and their branding to be pretty much everywhere in this film uh but the one scene that they told them they wouldn't allow their logo to be in is the scene where the coffee shop gets destroyed and <laughs> they, they told them they wanted their logo removed from that scene which is very interesting that they were wow. totally fine with this entire movie. Their logo being pretty much everywhere throughout. You can drink it. us. You just can't fuck us. Yeah. <laughs> That's how that business meeting went. It's like, it's like Scarface. Like, don't you ever try to fuck me. <laughs> I love when that guy is telling that story with a, no, it's not Bob. It's the guy who gets Bob died in that. In that yeah. Event. But I love, he's like a little kid. Like, dad, dad. Because he's like, we were going to kill two birds with one stone. So we decided, that, I don't know, just he's just so excited. Like, yeah. compared to all the other cult members who are very stone-faced, it's just like, he really thought he was on to something. That scene is, every time, like, not even that I'm, like, into what they're doing, but just all the dudes in the same outfit saying his name is Robert Paulson over and over again. And, yeah, and, that's a cult. Y- yes. Yep. Uh, but... I feel like like that it's gotten so far gone now at this point where you have the leader who's running around telling him to stop and they're not stopping no matter what he says mm-hmm. where it's like it's he's rippled the sea too many times from throwing rocks into it now that it's it's never going to stop even if he wanted it to and it's just like it's built into a way if you can't stop it yep yeah and it's just it's just it's just fucked up this whole this whole movie and, and where it ends up and 
it doesn't necessarily end up with a very rosy feeling of, of what's the future is going to be like. So there's a lot of uncertainty and a splice penis in there. Um, <laughs> my favorite thematic uh, device that I, I feel like is, is kind of understated, but just like thinking about like the entire relationship of how it like moves throughout this entire film is soap. The fact that soap, the, the, the way that they make soap is made from the fat of people, which is, liposuction like it's this this fat that people try to take out of themselves right they want to adhere to like this this idealized like image of themselves soylent green sorry and then and then that fat is then turned into soap which tyler is able to sell to those probably probably the same outlets as those people who do liposuction like buy it from for for twenty dollars and think that this is the most exotic and best soap and they use it to like wash themselves and at the same time like that soap can then be with, with with combined with with uh, with nitro or whatever with glycerin, you can actually turn it into an actual bomb. So the fact that fat can turn, can be turned into soap, which can be turned into a bomb, which just kind of like goes into this type type of cycle of regeneration and rejuvenation. I thought that was actually really interesting. His description too of how people discovered soap uh, and, and the way he describes it at least is yeah. just fascinating for me in terms of. Well, people, you know, had to be sacrificed for us to have things in, in real life. So, like yeah. the first monkey shot into space, and then he brings that up again space later. Space monkey. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that get repeated throughout the entire film, which is there's a lot of nice little callbacks throughout it. Which, um, you know, I, I I don't say it won't say it's like great writing because there are certainly times when that can be used very poorly in films but i feel like in this case uh in terms of the way it was written throughout a lot of parts of this films the callbacks throughout it are done very well throughout this uh this entirety film of I'm, the film i'm surprised yeah. that he didn't decide to uh repeat that really creepy phrase from like the the, the founding fathers which is like the tree of liberty must at times be watered with the blood of patriots and i'm just like people say that to me sometimes and i'm just like that's really fucked up that's kind of weird um yeah um yeah but yeah it's a it's 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 a really fucked up movie it's a good movie though so. what do we want to uh what do we think about the uh the three main players as we talked about the characters a lot but we something we we don't we do a, something we do a lot on this podcast is talk about the actors and how their performances were how do we feel about brad pitt who i think this for him is one of his more memorable roles uh, Edward Norton and Helena Bonham Carter, all who I think are actually fantastic in this film. They all knocked it out of the park. I don't. I couldn't see anybody else being in these roles. I think that Helena Bonham Carter is like this is this is quintessentially her. Like I I, I, I think of her and I think of this role. I don't think of her from Harry Potter or any of those or those crappy like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I want to I want to talk about like Fight Club because that's what I think of her at her very best. Because I think that she's good at playing the sort of fatalistic, femme fatale sort of character. That's not really a femme fatale, but she's more. She's not even trying to like work any sort of game. She just doesn't give a shit about life. So yeah, I just thought that she was really interesting. I think that. Brad Pitt uh, is the perfect character to play Tyler Durden. They were actually thinking about having Russell Crowe play it. Oh, thank God! Yeah, thank Whew. God about that because Bullet like Dodge. Master that, and Commander. Wow, that would not have uh, that that would not have worked at all. I think that uh, Edward think, Norton is great. I think it's very interesting about Brad Pitt too that he is like the the epitome of of hotness for a lot of women and, and He's men. So too. hot right now, dude, and and. 
my my wife when we're watching this and she thinks Brad Pitt is a, is a good looking man. Huh. Uh, she is not so much crazy about his his you know the beard and the gray beard that he sometimes sports now, but whatever. She's like when we're watching this film and she's like this is like the pinnacle for Brad Pitt early on in this film with the the way he, his hair is and the the age he's in sort of like you know I think this was Jennifer or, Aniston's Brad Pitt let me tell you <laughs> but like early to mid 30 Brad Pitt is he's a pretty good looking guy like like in he's got a lot of scenes in this film where they clearly uh clearly knew what they were doing in terms of trying to make him look the best he can which is very much interesting playing a character who's trying to spout this whole thing about physical appearance doesn't should give be... a fuck but yeah he right. looks like a fucking model <laughs> yeah he looks how you want to look he fucks how you want to fuck he is capable and he's the most relatable character in the movie for me <laughs> i love it i love it but no, his portrayal of of Tyler Durden is absolutely fabulous, and I, I've never necessarily thought of Brad Pitt as a great actor. But I think when he finds roles that are good for him and what he does well, he's he's one of the the best in terms of being enjoyable to watch. Like his character of Rusty in the Ocean series is just. I was just fabulous. about to say, besides the fact that this is great as far as this is one of his best roles, if not his best, mm-hmm. I could see someone making that argument. Yeah, like I. The only reason why I would hesitate to say that this is the epitome of cool Brad Pitt is because of Rusty. Because, like, in this movie, he's only doing, quote-unquote, cool things. But, like, Rusty, I mean, he even makes eating <laughs> all the time fucking guy to look s- somehow seamless. And what, what guy can sit in a, like, $50,000 suit and stand by the side of the road, wear sunglasses at night, and eat a plate of shitty-ass nachos... Yeah. While teaching Topher, um, Topher, Grace. Topher Grace how to play poker. I mean, come on, man. I was going to say, you, you, no, not everybody could pull that off. Fuck, you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Brad Pitt, when, when Brad Pitt is casted well in a film, there's not, there's not much better for me in terms of being entertained by what he's able to bring to the table. David Fincher in general, I think, has some of the best casts uh, as far as, I don't know if it's the same person who does casting for each of his films or not, but like just piggybacking but his one of his most recent movies uh gone girl like i thought ben affleck was the perfect choice for that archetype oh, rosamund pike too and was also pike. great like, rosamund pike was Tyler perfect Perry. because she gave like the best performance in that movie but as far as just knowing who embodies a role as far as like ben affleck because he's not one of the greatest actors of mm-hmm. all time like that's just how good the casting is when it got and so uh, yeah that's uh I think he's very good at that. I was gonna say, even some of his other films that aren't uh, necessarily his his most notable films, I think his casting is, is above par. Yeah, except oh, Benjamin Button. Yeah. Literally I think anybody besides Brad Pitt should have been <laughs> Benjamin Button, like Probably. He's Steve like, Buscemi. Probably I mean, like, no, I mean that sounds <laughs> silly, but like you you take somebody not to get off track, but that story is about a very person who has such a remarkable life like they can't also be a remarkable person in every other aspect like it should are also be... very very handsome well i'm just saying like it sounds bad because it's also, already he also grew up to be forrest gump like... well and that's the thing it sounds bad because it's already such an identical copycat of that movie but like tom hanks would have been a better choice because he looks like somebody you would run into yeah anyway well but the, a couple other that are not the obvious examples but uh daniel craig being cast in the girl with the dragon tattoo was fantastic fabulous mm-hmm. also Stellan Skarsgård in that same film was also great Rooney Mara she, I, I, she was okay I liked I'm, her I liked her as a 
Elizabeth Salander. Elizabeth Salander. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't bad. I just not a huge Jesse Eisenberg. That was kind of like the birth of his like recent. And uh, that was great casting there as well. And then uh, I was going to say this too. Um, Jared Leto in Panic Room, I thought was also fabulous. Even though that character was ridiculous, he fit right in for what uh, he was going for there. Not just so. him, but uh, what's his name? Uh, Lawrence. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I know Forrest who you're talking. Yeah. No, that's not who he's talking about. Oh, who you wouldn't? You know, uh, Dwight Yoakam. Yes. yes. Like, oh man, wasn't talk he about great casting. in that film? Yes. I yeah, mean yeah. that. Just to have his monotone, weird, wanting to wear a mask thing, yeah. and then you have the end where no, he's got no the sledgehammer. No, but for real, like yeah. you just did on something that I, I, I guess I don't feel like I've really thought about. But, but that's what I mean by casting. Like, yeah, not no. so much that someone's giving the best performance, no. but they are the right person for the job. I agree, and that's certainly the case with the trio of actors uh, in this movie, for sure. And the meatloaf there too. How about that? Pulled yeah, that out of nowhere. She was great, for sure. Hot mm. patootie, hot patootie, uh, Rocky Horror. Come yeah. on, <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. <laughs> Uh, another quick thing I wanted to mention uh, before we get towards the end of our discussion here uh, is that I thought the lighting, especially early on in this film, not necessarily is great in terms of film, but I thought it was so well done and encapsulated what a lot of scenes were trying to go for. The lighting that they have in the room when Marla and the narrator are talking for the first time, and it's that sort of bright lighting that you would see in like a conference area or something like that, or the the lighting, the dark lighting, uh, the shadows in the gymnasium when the guy's telling a story in the testicular cancer group about his wife that had always wanted to have children. She just had a child with her her new husband, and now here I am, testicular cancer and all with nothing. And it's just, it's just a lot of the scenes involve the right tone in terms of feel in the story and with the characters, but also with the the presentation of the actual environment uh and it just really just went very well for me throughout with the lighting and the sound of a lot of the scenes and it was physically uh, a great movie in that part too for me yeah so if we want to go to ratings uh, and give our final thoughts on fight club uh it's a five out of five for me it's a top five all-time film i uh I've loved this pretty much from the minute go. Uh, I, I really enjoyed watching it the first time in that van driving to Ohio uh, when I had bleach blonde hair in eighth grade. <laughs> but wow. was that a coincidence? No, it was not. Jared it just, Leto wannabe. The, it, maybe you don't remember, but in the late 90s, bleach, bleaching your hair was a thing. So, yeah. so was Scott. So was what? Scott. That doesn't mean oh. that we partake. Oh, well, I I partook. So in <laughs> Sky, yeah, was you know you I, had bleach blonde hair. Tucson had an afro. Yeah, and actually, I had I had, I had, had a, that in high school. That's what I mean, though. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. that, that like, time period. You guys are yeah. so all I had was a fucking tracheotomy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's <laughs> something to take home with you. Oh, so there you go. God. Yeah, but yeah, I I I. Watch Fight Club completely differently now, not just because knowing the story or anything, but because we discussed already uh, the different way you view this film when you're in high school and when you are almost 30, as I am, and the different perspective that you see the film from where it's not just, oh, man, he's, you know what, even though I'm not agreeing with that these, these, what he's saying kind of does make sense a little bit. And now where I'm watching it, where I just think it's like the most dangerous scary thing you could hear anyone spouting off throughout and i think that's very interesting that i would have and probably most people would have different feelings when they watch this film when they're a teenager 
and when when they're a fully grown adult is you see the difference between being impressionable and, and being able to to be someone who could fall into the kind of trap that this film is showing uh, as a you know society that it's trying to create and then seeing it on the other side of the coin is, is just uh, something and it's crazy that it's able to have that big of a difference in how you view it yet I still absolutely love it every time there's so many great lines in it, it makes me laugh it makes me kind of angry it makes me thrown off the scene with the fat falling off of the fence oh. and on to Edward Norton's body you're getting every, another one every fucking time I just I'm just like I can't even believe that that happens it just looks like it smells bad mm. there's there's multiples of that in, in this film that just every time just make me just scratch my head and think someone thought this up holy fuck right. and I, I just keep coming back because it's a it's a classic masterpiece for me so five out of five for Fight Club yeah, I I really enjoy this film. I, I honestly do. I don't think that it really hits as hard as it did when I when I first encountered it. It's something that I'm able to look back on and like really be able to appreciate. I think that it still has like that staying power, but I think it's really more of a film that you have to experience and find in a certain time in your life and it's really primed for like that high school like era. And I'm really happy that I was able to at least experience it through that and have the the initial brunt of that, but Looking back on it, it's uh, it's a film that I kind of sort of appreciate from a distance. I don't really have as much personal attachment to it anymore just simply because I've grown up and I have other things that really resonate more with me. But, uh, yeah, I, I really do enjoy Fight Club. I think that Marla Singer is a really interesting character. I think that Tyler Durden is a, uh, a textbook uh, case of why you should beware of charismatic leaders. And I think that Edward Norton, even though he's – kind of a snarky jackass that he's sort of like relatable in that sort of like existential malaise of, of, of middle age and you sort of in a way. So I think I would give this a uh, three and a half out of five. So yeah, just my typical rating, but you know, it's not perfect, but I, I still enjoy it. So yeah. very good. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I enjoyed watching it this time around. I far from love it. Unfortunately nowadays, uh, I, it's it's one of those things where because I watched it a couple of days ago, I genuinely don't feel like I need to watch it for another ten years. And I don't mean that as an insult, but just as far as like I'll only grow to dislike it if I watch it the same way I watched it when I first loved it back in high school, where I was watching it over and over and over. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate because there is a lot of talent, whether it be the acting or the direction or the editing. It's just. Uh, there's something about this. It's kind of like a magic trick, as far as now mm-hmm. that I've seen how it's done. I there's just something about it that doesn't uh, quite stay with me the same way other you know other tricks have, so to speak. So uh, for that, I, I give it three out of five stars. It's a movie I enjoy, but um, I wouldn't don't really rush to rewatch it anymore. Right on. Well, yeah, that was a that was a fun little trip down memory a very fun trip down memory lane for me is a, a lot of sort of feelings and memories of watching this film just sitting watching it wherever I was I just came flooding back when we were talking about it. so that was that was good stuff if you have any thoughts on Fight Club and you would like to send them on to us you can always send them to filmtankshow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook Twitter or Instagram at filmtankshow 
on our next episode, as I think this may have been the first time I've ever failed to episode, uh, mention what episode number this was, as this was episode 60 for us. Oh, wow. So next week on episode 61, uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, Netflix horror thriller, which is called Hush. Uh, which is a film that stars Joe Gallagher Jr., who we just saw in 10 Cloverfield Lane. So uh, that's uh, something we're going to look forward to talking about next week. And if you've seen that film at all and have any thoughts on it, you can always send those on again to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. So from Nick Cheney to Sadiq and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. (laughs) 